Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Donald D. Vernon, MD, FAAP, about the article, Practice Patterns in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, Results of a Workforce Survey, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in October 2015. Dr. Vernon is a professor of pediatrics at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for joining us today, Don. Glad to be here. So tell me, what did we know about the pediatric critical care medicine workforce before you did your survey? Well, there were data available from various surveys and studies that had been done before. Obviously, there were data available from the Board of Pediatrics about how many people had ever completed training in uh, pediatric critical care. The most comprehensive previous survey that had been done had also been done by Academy of Pediatrics back in 1995, which was called The Future of Pediatric Education 2. There may have been a future of pediatric education 1, but nobody I ever talked about seemed to know what it was. So <laughs> anyway, that was the original workforce survey. It was comprehensive for all of pediatric specialties, but there were sections for uh, each uh, pediatric subspecialist so what we did this time was, in a large extent, parallel with that previous effort. The kind of data that were available were largely just descriptive. How many people there were, a few things about how you know their impressions of whether there are too many or too few, and some idea of what kind of practice they did in terms of you know how much research, how much clinical time, things like that. The thing that we thought was lacking was a description of what these folks actually did all day how their work time was divided up, and in particular, their clinical responsibilities and night call, things like that. So tell us about the survey that you did now. It's 20 years later. What did you cover in this survey? Who developed it? How was it distributed and so forth? So like the first Academy of Pediatrics survey, this was initiated, funded by the Academy. The way the survey was structured was they had a set of standard questions that were asked sent out to everybody who answered the survey throughout the broad specialty of pediatrics. Each of us, meaning each section inside the academy, in our case, the section on critical care, was then given the opportunity to develop a set of specific questions that would just be sent to, in our case, intensivists. So those of us who were on the section executive committee spent some time developing these. But the study was, the survey was administered and sent out by staffers at the Academy of Pediatrics. The recipients of the survey, the people to whom it was sent, were, came from two places, from the Board of Pediatrics, the people who were board certified in pediatric critical care, and the section of critical care from the academy, their roster of people. So it was sent to 1,800-odd people. The response rate was rough, uh, was very close to 50%. Uh, 923 people actually responded. Just as, you know, a frame of reference, as of 2014, there have been around 2,400 people surveyed, uh, I mean, board certified in pediatric critical care medicine since the beginning of time. So as surveys go, I suppose it's pretty representative. So what did you cover? What kinds of questions did you ask? And then what did you find? What, what kind of responses did you get? Well, the number, there is some limitation as the kind of the number of questions one could ask. And sure. The survey can't be too long, of course. So we asked things about the number of hours people worked each week, from where they took call, how much time they spent doing research versus clinical care, whether they had a special cardiac intensive care unit, the number of nights they were on call, 
how many weeks of clinical service in the ICU they did, and a lot of things along that line. There were some open-ended questions about what you like, what you hated about your specialty, that sort of thing. But we were trying to get an idea of what it was like across the United States to actually be an intensivist. You know, I think that somebody like me who's been in this specialty for over 30 years now had surprisingly little feel for what the rest of us actually did all day. <laughs> and I, I suspect there's some variability in terms of how long people have been in the field. I don't know if you were able to get to that. Well, I can... We just have the most basic information on that. I can tell you the median number of years since medical graduation was 21 with a range of 3 to 45. So you know, the typical respondents had been doing this for a couple of decades, and that puts their age in, you know, around in the late 40s, early 50s, something like that. What kind of workload do pediatric intensivists do these days? Well, they claim they work about 60 hours a week, and they claim they, most of these people claim they are full-time clinicians. The typical number of weeks on service is around, for full-time people, around 15. The 75th percentile is 24. The number of nights on call varies whether they do it from in-house or out-of-house, but for the folks who do it in-house, the typical is about 50-odd nights per year, a bit more than one per week. Some of the people do as many as, as 120 from home, there's many 70 in-house. So some, for some people, the, the call nights are quite, they seem to me to be quite a heavy load. Typical people are making rounds on about an average daily census of 13 people with an average number of ICU beds of about 20. And so that, you know, give people an idea of what, uh, what the clinical workload is. So one thing that's interesting is that how little time was actually spent doing research, which I think was a surprise to a lot of us but that the typical person doesn't spend all that much time doing research. And only about 5% of people do any kind of basic research, and as many as 40% of people may claim that they do some manner of clinical research. So the number of hours they spend doing that is fairly small. It comprises only about 10% of their total effort. Interestingly, that actually hasn't changed much in 20 years. I think many of us thought that with the change in funding and things are being more competitive, at least at the federal level, that it would be a decrease but it was never very large, and so most of us seem to be primarily clinician educators and administrators. So if we spend 15 weeks on service, it is what I believe you said, what do we do the other 30, 35 weeks of the work weeks? That's a good question, and, you know, I, it was kind of difficult to get at because there was so much variability in what people do. I think some of it is involved in being on call and recovering from that, if you look at the call numbers, a number of call nights, some folks have a lot of administrative responsibility. Some institutions run a sedation service, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say that we were able to develop any kind of overall sense of what people did. It seemed to be extremely variable from person to person, and I mean from place to place, and mm -hmm. somewhat difficult to describe. My sense is that there's a lot more in-house night call at the attending level than there was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Were you able to... You know, I'm quite sure that that's true. However, that, I was never able to find much data from 20 years ago on where people took call, and I was not part of the original survey. The number of people who take in-house call is uh, roughly 
if memory serves here, around 60% of people are taking in-house call. Let's see. Well, it depends on whether you're talking about people who consider themselves in full-time clinicians or the entire group. For people who are full-time clinicians, it's close to 60%, 56%. For those who are part-time, it's slightly less. And so I think there has been an increase, but that's more kind of a gestalt gathered from talking to people over the years rather than anything we're able to recover from the studies. I think this may be the first survey that's actually asked that question. It's interesting, I mean, just as an aside, why the reason for that might be. It's very difficult to find any evidence that it improves patient outcome yeah. to have people in-house. But. but I think as uh, trainees' work hours get restricted and supervisory requirements increase and perhaps some complexity, certainly in the cardiac population, but in some of our other patient populations, I, I suspect those are all contributing factors. Well, right. I think that so many things are happening at once that you yeah. know, you're not going to be able to find a single causative factor. There is certainly pressure from administration and from cardiac surgeons to have somebody in-house all the time as well. How have uh, workforce issues changed over time? When the original survey was done, intensivists were surveyed about what they thought of the adequacy of the workforce. And in that, at that time, around two-thirds of people thought that too many intensivists were being trained. The same question or a variation of it was asked this time. And so this was one area where there was a major change. Now, the number of people who think they're about the right number and the number of people who think there are too few are about equal at around 40%. So now only a minority think they were training too many people. So this is actually interesting because in the interval of time between the two surveys, the number of board-certified intensivists has roughly quadrupled. And there's more than a 1,000 new intensivists have entered practice. Yet the perception of the, of the specialty is, uh, has changed in that now uh, there seems to be a greater sentiment that we may not have enough. Well, certainly if we're going to have 24-7 in-house attendings, we need a greater number just to cover that. I think that that's pretty clear. And if you look at, uh, at the size of divisions of pediatric care medicine versus the number of beds, it certainly seems to be an increase. I mean, when you analyze it, it's very difficult to have full-time in-house coverage without a larger number uh, of intensivists. So uh, another factor is probably the advent of pediatric cardiac critical care. So this has now become an identified part of the specialty with people mostly thinking that one needs to have additional specific training in the specialty, which probably increases the, uh, the number of intensivists needed. Pediatric cardiac critical care was barely on the radar screen in 1995 to 1997 when the first survey was done. And now around 40% of all individuals say that they work in a place that has a dedicated cardiac intensive care unit with about two-thirds of people providing post-alpha cardiac intensive care. And so I think that that is certainly a workforce pressure. One thing that's not a workforce pressure, interestingly, is the additional numbers of people working part-time. Since the number of hours that people work per week essentially is unchanged in the, in the 20 years, it's also not noticeably different between males and females. So clearly the number of women entering this specialty has, uh, is on the increase. Pediatrics is largely a female specialty now, and the number of trainees in pediatric critical care is showing a slight female majority. But as of yet, although people assume that women are more likely to work part-time, fewer hours per week, that's not, <laughs> that's not evident in the results of the survey. 
So that may not be true for pediatric intensivists. Well, it's, it's, it's not true now. The, the survey respondents were still predominantly male, around 60-odd percent male. And so, you know, it takes time for people in the pipeline to, uh, to finish and affect the gender makeup of the specialty, I suppose. But thus far, no, uh, there's been no obvious effect. What about future career plans for people in pediatric critical care? Are people planning to change their career paths, change their clinical loads, and so forth? Well, certainly some people are. We asked the question, if you're going to leave pediatric critical care in the next few years, why that might be. Less than 10% of the people actually answered that question. Interesting. And the most common answer was that they're just going to do something else. And the second most common answer is that they're just getting old. And the rest of them was, you know, we're all 10% or less things about university politics, family issues, burnout, dislike for taking care of many patients that seem to have a poor quality of life, stuff like that. Only 1% of people said they were going to opt out to do research. And so... Uh, it's hard to say that there's a big move out of this specialty. We also ask a free text questions about what people thought about working in pediatric critical care medicine, and the most common response was that they were happy with their career choice, which... Which is great news for us. Yeah, I guess so. It was interesting. Again, I mean, these were not questions that the survey forced people to answer, so, sure. you know, there was, the response rate was uh, fairly low. It's interesting that the people who responded, the average age is pushing 50. So I wouldn't have been surprised if you had said that a number of them were going to move towards less clinical or less clinically intensive work, since certainly it is a stressful field. And with the in-house night call and so forth, it can be a bit challenging to... Well, I have to say that I was surprised by that as well. I mean, I guess with a response rate approaching 50%, one would have to assume it's pretty representative. You know, the first board certification exam is now approaching 30 years in the past. And so the first cadre of fellowship-trained intensivists is now aging out. So I would have expected more responsive people say they're getting tired, you know, they want to do less critical care. And so there's some of that, but it was not a, overall an impressive theme. Interesting. Do you have any thoughts about the implications of this study for the future of pediatric critical care and what does our workforce look like? So I would say that based on the results of the survey as well as some other stuff that probably exists in a state of mild to perhaps moderate workforce shortage. I think that there are areas where there is a more significant workforce shortage, particularly in the area of pediatric cardiac critical care especially since that workforce or that specialty seems to require now at, at least some form of additional training, if not dual board, sub-board certification. The things that people talk about in terms of workforce shortage and specifically the number of people who want to work part-time and the increased number of women in pediatric subspecialties don't seem to have any measurable effect, at least according to the results of our survey. When you look at that, there's no way to tell how many jobs are actually available out there, although uh, there's no clearinghouse for that. The Pediatric Critical Care Medicine website has listed about 100 jobs available for about the last 15 or 20 years, so that doesn't seem to have changed very much. One thing that has changed, and these are not results from the survey, but are data from the American Board of Pediatrics and the National you know, Residence, Residency Matching Program suggests that especially is becoming more popular. The number of available positions in fellowship programs has increased by about 50% over the last five years. 
Most recent year, for the first time, there were significantly more applicants in available position than only about 75% of applicants actually got a position, with a decrease in the number of unfilled programs and unfilled positions. So the specialty seems to be becoming more popular amongst pediatric residents. And so I guess overall, I would say that the uh, implications for the workforce and especially are that there seems to be a fairly good match at this point between the number of people coming in the number of jobs available, and the interest amongst pediatric residency. Sounds promising, at least in the short term. Well, it's difficult to predict the future. And with changes in healthcare financing, (laughs) I suppose anything is possible. But (laughs) these are the data we have. Yeah. Well, it sounds better than than what is reported in some other fields of medicine. So it sounds like we're plugging along and at least maintaining ourselves. Well, I think it also suggests that the job satisfaction for people in pediatric critical care is generally good. And we seem to be transmitting that to the trainees since an increasing number of them, of them seem to want to, you know, be like us when they grow up. So I found that sort of encouraging. Great. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? I think that pretty well covers it. All right. Well, thank you very much for talking with us today, Don. Well, thanks for inviting me. We have been speaking with Dr. Donald Vernon from Salt Lake City, Utah, about the article, Practice Patterns in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, Results of a Workforce Survey, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in October 2015. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Mark your calendar to attend the 45th Critical Care Congress to be held February 20th through 24th, 2016 in Orlando, Florida, USA. This five-day event will bring together more than 6,000 members of the critical care community from around the world and will offer opportunities to share creative and stimulating ideas, make valuable connections, and obtain inspired perspectives. Visit www.sccm.org slash congress to register and for more information. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.